listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So I have to admit to you guys something. Are you, are you ready for a, a big shocker right now? All right. I'm just making sure, you know, you're not checked out on me already. Um, I have to admit that I am not a very outdoorsy kind of guy. Uh, I just, I have to admit that before you guys. Cat's here. She's like the most outdoorsy person that I know. Like she, her pictures, if you follow her on Instagram, your, your eyes will be delighted with God's, God's beauty of nature. But, but I'm not very outdoorsy personally. And uh, I love to camp, but let's be real. I love the beach camp, right? Which is like more like glamping than camping, right? It's, it's not exactly for real camping. Uh, my family and I just recently took some time. Uh, we just got through a really busy season at church and, and, uh, we were just kind of all tired from going, going, going. And so we took four nights and went camping out at San Clemente state beach. And it was a great time except for the skunks which um, I'm, that's a whole other story that I'm saving for a future sermon at some point. But, um, <laughs> but we spent our days on the beach enjoying the cool breeze coming off the ocean and our nights around a campfire. And man, it doesn't get better than that, right? And uh, there is no nap like a beach nap, right? Kim will tell you I'm, I'm an expert in naps and, and there is no nap like a beach nap. But um, we had a great time. But I have to admit, I don't really get people who are totally psyched about wilderness camping, right? Like, I I don't really get it. I had a friend one time invite me to a men's camping trip, and it was for his son's birthday, right? And, and, and he was like, he came up to me all excited, and he was like, oh man, it's going to be awesome. We're going to like hike five miles into the middle of nowhere and, and spend two days and only use a compass to get there, and we're going to catch our own food and cook it and eat it, and we're going to hike more during the day and, and really like live off the land, and, and, and then eventually we'll have a manhood ceremony for my son, and then we'll head back into civilization five more miles, mind you, right? And and, and I'm sitting there like looking at him and listening him to him describe this trip. And I'm just thinking like, um, no, thank you. Like, like that sounds like the worst birthday party ever. Do you even like your son? Because I can't tell. Like, I, I, I can't tell. I like to stay near things like restrooms and hospitals. Like, call me crazy, but I'm not carrying my three-foot-tall queen-size air mattress five miles into the wilderness and five miles back. Like, that just ain't going to happen. What? I have a tender back. I told you I wasn't the outdoorsy type, right? Uh, which I know can be confusing because I wear a lot of flannel. Um <laughs> Um, I'm probably the only person that you know that has gotten bucked off of a horse wearing a cowboy hat and Air Jordans. True story, but for another time. We're in a series right now called True North. And 
uh, I have to say that I've never actually had to rely on a compass to get anywhere uh, because um, Google Maps, right? Um, but I've never actually had to use a compass, but th- for research purposes for this series, I discovered something very interesting. And I know you're going to find it interesting, too. I just know it. Maybe not. I don't know. I can't back that up. Um, A compass actually points north. Did you know that? It actually points north. Like, some of you are like, whoa, you really are not outdoorsy. Like, um no, for real though, if, if you follow a compass, it's going to lead you north. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, this is fascinating me. It won't lead you to true north. It won't. Be, because the compass will lead you to what's called magnetic north. Uh, because the earth's metal core and the liquid hot metal surrounding the earth's core, it causes the compass pin to change where, where it's leading you. And, and because the earth is always shifting and changing, magnetic north is always moving. And, 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 here's, and so the geophysical location that all maps use for true north is actually somewhere out in the frozen ocean of the North Pole. And here's the kicker. Uh, true north and magnetic north are actually more than, most of the time, more than 300 miles apart. 300 miles apart. Uh, I say usually because sometimes it's more, because the earth is always changing. And, and, and that's a bit of a difference. I don't know if you've ever driven 300 miles, but um, I don't know, maybe cats hiked 300 miles. I don't know, but uh, that's, a, that's a bit of a difference, right? That's like shooting for Santa Barbara and ending up in San Francisco. Like, truly, I Google mapped it. Like, and, and, and in case you didn't know, those two places are not the same place. Like, they're, they're not. And so the truth is, if you're blindly following a compass... You're going to end up in the completely wrong place. To make sure you end up in the place you want to go, you have to use the compass in relationship to a map. And using both these things hand in hand will get you where you want to go. But truth be told, modern compasses have an adjustment that you can make to compensate for magnetic north. But you still have to know what you're doing because if you do it wrong, you're going to end up even more lost. And I think this is just such a relevant example of our relationship to God. Uh, If we try to follow the compass of culture to God, it it may feel like we're going away for for a while, but in the end, we're just going to end up lost. And because our culture is always changing, always changing. And the only way to find your way to tr- the true north of God is to be in constant relationship with him. 
checking the compass against the map, making course corrections along the way, just like we check what we think about God against God's word. Just like we check what we think we know about God against God's word. This is a daily, hourly, sometimes minute by minute process, but it's so worth it because we are led to the truest north there is deeper and deeper into relationship with the father. And through that process, we end up looking more and more like Jesus. We've been talking about how our basic needs can mostly be broken down into three categories. And the three categories are this love and belonging, purpose and value, security and survival. Ricardo spoke to us about how all these needs are actually good in their basic nature, but lots of times how we choose to fill these needs is outside of the way God has chosen to design them. And I'm going to spoil the rest of the message right here. I'm just going to give you what I got right here. Um, Because God designed all of our basic needs to be met in our relationship with God. Him. God has designed all of our basic needs to be met in our relationship with him. So when we choose to fill our love and belonging need with codependent relationships, or when we find our purpose and value in our job and our security and survival in the money that we make from that job, Our connection with God ends up looking more like religion than a relationship. We end up settling for so much less than we were designed for. Brian and Mark covered the first two sets of needs. Uh, And I don't have time to recap those because I talked way too long about not being outdoorsy. But um, so so if you missed it, go back to our website, check out the podcast or pretty soon you'll be able to just open your mission app on your phone and the podcast will be right there. Um, But today we're going to focus on the last pair of needs, security and survival. And uh, where do you find where do we find our security and survival? What do we look to for the provision of these things? If I asked some people outside of the church, I'm sure I would get some answers like, well, I provide security for my family through my job. Or maybe my survival is tied to my paycheck from month to month. Believe me, I've been there, right? Um, Uh, Or maybe you're converting some of your paycheck every month into Bitcoin, you know, just in case, right? Like, (laughs) or, or you're, or maybe you're like a walking dead fan and you're like, oh, our survival is secure right in my gun safe, right? Like uh, if the zombie apocalypse comes tomorrow, we're ready. We're ready, son. What about security in the sense of your feelings, right? Like what makes you feel secure or insecure? How much weight do you give uh, to what other people think? Does wondering how people feel about you plague your mind? Do you replay your interactions over and over assessing whether you sound like a fool 
Like, I don't do that because I always know the answer. I always sound like a fool. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You're constantly needing positive affirmation from the people you respect to feel like you're doing a good job. Guilty, right? Like, when, when you post a picture on social media, are you judging its worth by how many hearts it gets? These are just some of the ways we view our needs of security and survival, but we were designed for our security to come from our relationship with God. Brian talked a bit about the Garden of Eden and how Adam and Eve had this extraordinary privileged life of walking with God in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. And there was no barrier between God and the ones he had created in his image, right? And, and you and I can only dream about that. And who knows, maybe we'll see that in heaven. I don't know. But God was in a visible, tangible relationship with Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that they were naked and unashamed because they didn't know anything else. They had no idea what they had until it was gone. God had set them loose in the garden and told them they could eat from any tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When the serpent came and tempted them, he tempted them with FOMO, fear of missing out, right? He he said, God doesn't want you to eat of this tree because he knows it will make you like him. So all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are struck with the feeling of what if there is more beyond what God has for me? And, and, and this so and this is the beginning of of the tendency humans have to look for their basic needs to be met outside of God. And after eating the forbidden fruit in Genesis 3, 7 through 10, it says this. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Instantly security, insecurity rather, instantly insecurity takes over Adam and Eve and the result Um, And the results are hiding in shame. They were once completely secure in who they were. And they didn't even have to consider their survival because their lives were defined by their relationship to God. They were once naked and unashamed. But the minute they decided to try to define themselves outside of God, sin crept in. Their nakedness and vulnerability became something that they wanted to hide. See, the thing I notice about myself is that I am my most secure self when I allow my daily relationship with God to be the defining factor in my life. 
When I am in a living, breathing relationship with God every day, it changes me from the inside out. And it also changes how I view my security and survival and what those two things look like. I believe that a person who has an identity that doesn't allow culture to define their north, but who strives to stay in sync with true north, has the ability to bring the kingdom of God with them wherever they go. And when the kingdom of God comes with you, people can't help but begin to recognize the deceiving nature of the culture's compass. And before you know it, a cultural shift begins to happen. All because you allowed your relationship with God to be the defining factor in your security and survival. Which is so backwards from what culture wants for you, by the way. This concept is completely encapsulated in the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of my most favorite books of the Bible because uh, from beginning to end it offers a pattern And a promise. The pattern is that human beings and their kingdoms will always become lost, violent, and monstrous when they choose to honor themselves as king instead of acknowledging God as their true king. And I think we can still clearly see that pattern today, right? Anybody watch the news lately? Like... I think we can see that pattern still at work today. But the promise of the book of Daniel is that God will one day confront this pattern and rescue his people by bringing his kingdom over all nations. Daniel was a Jewish man and a prophet of God. Prophet in the Old Testament, if you don't know, just means that Daniel was in direct communication with God. God gave Daniel the ability to interpret dreams for the kings of Babylon, which is where the people of Israel were being held captive. Uh, Because of this ability to interpret dreams, Daniel was elevated in status and was positioned in the king's courts. And Daniel was favored by the kings and so much so that King Darius planned to set Daniel over the whole kingdom of Babylon. This enraged the other high officials in Babylon and they set out to find a complaint about Daniel with regards to the kingdom. But these leaders couldn't find any fault within Daniel. Like, in fact, they openly said that an excellent Spirit was within him. Um, and, and so these leaders, they decided to create a situation where Daniel would have to disobey the king and be punished. The leaders then convinced the king to sign an unbreakable decree that said for 30 days, no one could petition to any God or man other than himself, King Darius, and any violators would be thrown into a den of lions. Seems a little extreme to me, but you know, kings are eccentric, so I I don't know. Um, But the king likely views this decree from a political standpoint and not so much a spiritual one, so he signed it. 
And when Daniel hears the news about this new decree, he goes to his home and he opens wide the windows in the upper chamber uh, in his house towards Jerusalem. And Daniel then gets down on his knees and he begins to petition the Lord by praying and giving thanks. And he continues his Jewish custom of praying three times a day to God, but now always on his knees, always with the windows open, always facing Jerusalem, as it's depicted in 1 King chapter 8. Daniel is either the worst at being secretive, or he wasn't trying to hide what he was doing. The fact that he always had the windows open made it very easy for the high, the high officials of Babylon that were working against Daniel to gather the evidence they needed for his conviction. And, and of course, so those officials take their evidence back to the king, but they're sneaky about it. First, they get to the king and they, and they get him to confirm that the decree he signed about uh, petitioning to no other God or man except for him was unbreakable. They get him to uh, admit that, you know, yeah, it's unbreakable. I can't break it. And, and then they, they, uh, they tell the king um, all of the things that they had discovered about Daniel and his decree-breaking ways. And so King Darius knew immediately that he had been duped. He knew, he knew immediately and he wanted to save Daniel, but the officials reminded him that the decree was unbreakable. And the king had an enormous amount of favor for Daniel, but his hands were tied. And there was no way to get Daniel off the hook. And we pick the story up in Daniel chapter 6, starting at verse 16. Um, Daniel six sixteen. Uh, then the king commanded... And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his place, his palace and spent the, no- the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and slept, sleep fled him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So that Daniel was taken so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who 
had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives, again, a little extreme, but okay. And and because they reached the bottom of the den of, uh, and before they reached the bottom of the den of the lions, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to, now catch this, King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Because Daniel's security and survival were rooted in his relationship with God, he not only wasn't eaten by lions, but because of his faith, the nations of the earth heard the truth about God. See, if Daniel wasn't, uh, if Daniel was using the compass of culture for, for his direction, the logical thing would have been to not pray out loud. Duh. It's not that you don't have to pray. You just don't pray out loud. Um, especially not with the windows open, right? Because no one wants to be lion food. But Daniel wasn't going to settle for just somewhere up north. He wasn't going to settle for just somewhere up north because his security was found in his relationship with God. He wasn't going to settle for anything less than true north, even at the cost of his life. Because Daniel deeply trusted God for his every need. He had no reason to fear. Can you and I say the same thing? Because we live in a culture that is less and less open to Christianity. Uh, It's become harder and harder to stand up for what you believe in and know is right. Uh, Did you notice that in this set of scriptures, we don't even hear from Daniel himself until verse 21? He didn't defend himself or try to save his own life. Daniel did what he knew was right. And relied on God to save his life. Which, if you think about it, is really what Jesus is saying in Matthew 10, 39. When he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Any way you try to fill your need for security and survival outside of your relationship with Jesus is fleeting. And it will blow away like sand on a windy day. In fact, that's true for all of our basic needs. This series was actually birthed out of a conversation that Ricardo and I were having. Um, This was a couple of months ago. And I was telling 
Ricardo about this pattern that the Lord had revealed in my own life that wasn't, wasn't good. And basically upon reflecting over the many years of my ministry career, the Lord showed me that every time I had a big encounter with the Lord where I felt some sense of direction where he was leading me, I would take that encounter and run with it as long and as hard as I could in the direction I felt the Lord wanted me to go. And after months of moving furiously uh, in that direction, I would feel burned out, tired, and, and just like nothing left to give. And, and the problem was that I, I was doing a bunch of stuff for God, not with God. I was doing a bunch of good things for the kingdom of God, but I wasn't doing them with God. I was doing them in my own power. You tracking with that? I was doing a bunch of stuff for God, not with God. And he would, he would reveal to me something that I wanted, he, that he wanted to do in my own life or maybe the life of the church. And, and I would take off in the direction and leave him behind covered in my dust. Rather than walking in step daily with God, constantly checking and making course corrections along the way, I would just bolt north. I would just take off north. And I would always end up a little lost. So I decided to make an effort to slow down and really try to build a daily relationship with God. And and at first, I have to admit, I didn't even really know how to daily walk in step with Jesus. And that is mortifying for a pastor to admit. But I'm just being real with you guys. It was a slower pace than I was used to. A lot slower. And so I just began by protecting my time with God because everything else in life will get in the way if it's allowed to. My boys, they're sitting right here. Um, My boys are up at 6 a.m. like clockwork every day. And once they're up, it's hard to find a quiet place in the house. So I just started by getting up at 5.30 a.m. just a half an hour early to be with God and making sure that I was checking in with God before I was checking social media or texts or emails. And each morning, uh, I began doing these three wildly profound things that you've never heard of before, and I'm going to share them with you here in a minute. It's called, they're called um, reading the Bible, praying, and being quiet before the Lord. I know you, none of you have heard of those things before. <laughs> So I'll share my secret. <laughs> uh, you guys would not believe the difference in my day because of it. Uh, I find myself thinking differently about my needs and the needs of others than I ever have before. I find that I am more aware of the red flags of temptations, or, or the red flags that go off when temptations come around. 
And what I do may not work for you in your lifestyle. And that's totally fine. Try different things and find what works for you. But I'm not saying that I have it all figured out because I, I, I truly don't have it all figured out. But what I am saying is that if I've been struggling with this and I'm a pastor, there's a pretty good chance that some others in this community are struggling with it as well. So what I want to say to you is, is don't settle, don't settle for just somewhere up north. Don't settle. I've tasted and seen true north and it is beautiful. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, right? So don't settle for a religious affiliation with Jesus. A religious affiliation with Jesus is not a relationship. Make time to build a personal daily relationship with him and protect it furiously, And watch that relationship begin to affect your every need. So as the worship team comes, I just want to encourage you guys. Slow down. Everything in our culture wants us to be moving fast. Slow down. Walk in step with Jesus. Be faithful. Take the time to listen, not only for directions, but for timing as well. Continually check in. Make course corrections along the way in your relationship and your thinking about God. And watch as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords brings his kingdom to the earth through you. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. Lord, we don't even have the words to tell you how good you are. Lord, in your majestic nature, You have this nature that is beyond our comprehension, and yet you love us. We are yours. You, are, you created us in your image and designed us for our every need to be met in our relationship with you. Lord, help us to realize that. Help us to remember that just because something's logical doesn't necessarily mean it's from you. Lord, help us to remember to not just listen 
for direction, but listen for your timing as well, Lord. Lord, help us to draw near to you, closer to to your heart. Break our heart for what breaks yours, Lord. Lord, bring us to our knees. Let our praise and prayers and thanksgiving spill out of our windows like Daniel into the culture around us. Lord, help us to seek you daily. Guide and direct us, Lord. Remind us that the culture around us is constantly changing, but that there is only one true north. And Lord, you never change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love you, God. As the ushers come forward, we pray over our tithes and offering. God, we bring before you what is already yours. You've gifted us with everything that we have as a, as a blessing from your hand. And we give it back to you now. Use it to build your kingdom in our neighborhoods and the nations. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. podcast of the Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.